Amen. Let me invite your attention to God's Word again. James chapter 3, you're wise beyond your years. Let me ask you today, if you could ask for anything in life and know that you would receive it, what would you ask for? I would imagine in a room like this, people who are watching, you would ask for money. Lord, just give us more money that we could live a more comfortable life. I imagine there would be people who would ask for positions. Lord, would you change my position or give me more of a prominent position of more influence? There would be some of us who would ask for appearance. Lord, help me look younger. Uh, we'd be quick to ask the Lord to that. There would be others who would say, Lord, would you give me direction in life? I, I'm getting ready to make some big decisions. I just need direction. So God, will you give me direction that I can uh, just make a good pathway in life? And then there would be some of us today, we'd come before a holy God and just say, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you let me see life and let me see all the circumstances of my life through your eyes? So would you give me wisdom and insight that I could see life, but I could live life, God, the way you want me to? Be a glorious thing to have the wisdom of God. Let me give you a couple of biblical illustrations. One is in Acts chapter 6. We find a guy there by the name of Stephen. People have come against him. He has been seized, and so one of the things that they're going to do, they're going to come against him in a very fierce way. But it says in the Bible, but in Acts chapter 6, verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit in which he was speaking. Now, wouldn't you want that in your life? Your enemies come against you. The opposition comes against you. And when they hear you speaking, they can't withstand. Why? Because you're speaking with great wisdom and insight from Almighty God. What a compliment to his life, Stephen. Let me invite your attention back to 1 Kings chapter 3. We know this one very well, but I want to give you a challenge here in the beginning of the message today. You're wise beyond your years. In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon, God gives him an opportunity and God says to him, ask what I shall give you. It's an open question. Solomon, you just ask, I'm going to give it to you. And the, the scripture goes on to say in verse 9, here's what Solomon said. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. He didn't ask for wealth or fame or appearance. He asked for wisdom and insight. God, give me wisdom and insight that I can lead your people the way you want me to lead. And then God gave him everything else. Now, here's, here's a question I want you to think through as we look at James chapter 3. If you think about Solomon asking, could have asked for anything. It was a blank check from God. And Solomon asked for wisdom, for insight. How did he know to do that in life? And the answer to that question, you'll go back to Proverbs chapter 4. And you're going to see the interaction between David and Solomon. And you're going to see that what did David teach him in Proverbs chapter 4. It's very interesting and it's insightful because here's what he said to his son. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. And here's what he says. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in paths of uprightness. So where did Solomon get that? Well, he got that from his father David because David had been teaching him to seek the wisdom of God in your life. Now in this room and those who are watching, I want to ask you fathers, dads in this room, what are you teaching your kids? How are you instructing them? Are you teaching them the ways of the world or are you teaching them the ways of God? 
and they're very different. Uh, you may look at it and say, well, I'm teaching my kids how to ride a bike or drive a car or how to handle finances or I'm teaching them how to use technology and those things. Those things are wonderful, wonderful life lessons. But dads and fathers, let me ask you, are you teaching your kids the ways of God in life? Here's how you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not by good works and it's not by religious deeds, but Jesus gave his life on Calvary's cross, paid your sin debt in full, shed his blood, victorious over death and the grave. The way you can know that you're going to go to heaven is because of Jesus Christ. Are you teaching them the gospel? Are you teaching them how to read the word and study God's word? Are you teaching your kids how to pray and have a conversation with God? Are you teaching your kids how to walk with God in life, in all areas of life? I want you to be faithful to God. What are you teaching your kids? David taught Solomon the wisdom of God. What are you teaching your kids? One thing I know is I think about this message, you're wise beyond your years. All of us here are going to live by wisdom according to James 3. But here's the difference. Are we going to live by the wisdom of man or the wisdom of God? And as I think about James, again, what a great pastor, great preacher. He's teaching the people of God to look at life through the wisdom and insight of God because he's saying to them, if you're going to understand the trials of your life, you need the wisdom of God to do that. If you're going to handle temptation God's way, you need the wisdom of God to be able to do that. Uh, if you're going to guard your tongue and control what comes out of your mouth, you need the wisdom of God to do that. If you're going to be victorious over favoritism, you're going to need the wisdom of God to be able to do that. He is communicating about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. Now, we live in a day where we like to trade many things. For example, we like to trade cars. You just get an itch some days, and you think, you know, you see all these new cars around town. We saw three or four yesterday, new tags, and get the temptation. Well, maybe we ought to trade cars. We got over that temptation pretty quick. And so just to trade cars, you look at it and you think, well, we trade cars a lot. In our day now, we trade contact information. Hey, if you'll send me your contact information, I'll give you mine. We can stay in touch with one another. Nowadays in college sports, and I don't quite get this, the transfer portal, we, we trade players a lot. I mean, they're here this season, next season, they're gone somewhere else. You could not do that before, but now it's a new day. So we trade a lot of things. But I want you to look this way and pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. Because when I look at many individual eyes, when I think about many churches, when I think about denominations in our country, when I think about colleges and universities, we're in the shape we're in in many ways in this country because we have traded the wisdom of God for the wisdom of man. And if we're not careful, here's where we land at. We're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. And James is saying you can't live but the wisdom of man. You need to live but the wisdom of God in your life. So fathers and dads, are you teaching your kids to have the wisdom of God and the insight of God? Church, are we looking at life and are we living by the wisdom of man or the wisdom of God? As I think about even our own Southern Baptist Convention, I look and I say, God, why are so many believers not living abundant, joyful lives in Christ? And God, why are so many churches divided in our convention? I mean, we're divided over paint color. We're divided over worship styles. We're divided over service times. 
We're divided over money in the bank. What are we going to do with it or not do with it? We're divided over all these issues. And God, why are so many churches not seeing anyone saved or baptized in our convention? Thousands of churches will not see a single person come to Christ and baptize in a given year. And then, God, why are we seeing so many of our churches declining and dying? And here's why. We have substituted, we have traded the wisdom of God for the wisdom of man. God, help us if we've done that. Well, as you think about this text, I want to invite your attention to God's Word, and I want you to walk with me through this. I want to give you some insights. Number one, live the good life. And when I think about living the good life, I want you to please understand this. What James is saying here about the good life is not that you're going to come to Christ by living the good life. You don't come to Christ by living the good life. You come to Christ by surrendering your life in repentance and trusting his death, burial, and resurrection to save you and to forgive you and transform your life. But after you come to Christ, then you live the good life. You live the best life. You live the great life. That's life in Christ. James here is a pastor. As an author of the New Testament here, he says this question, who is wise and understanding among you? Great question. It's a rhetorical question, but I wonder how many of them raised their hands. I wonder how many of them said, I just can't do that. He said, who is wise and understanding among you? And one of the things I appreciate about James, if you're going to be a great leader in Christian ministry, you need to know this. If you're going to be a great leader in Christian ministry, you need to know how to ask questions. Jesus asked a lot of questions, and if you're going to lead in ministry, be willing to ask questions. But one of the things I appreciate about James, he also is not only leading, he's protecting the people of God. Because if you're going to shepherd God's people, and you're going to be a Christian leader, then a part of your role is to protect the people of God in life. And you're going to have to have courage to be able to do that as well. And I were reminiscing this week, and my first ministry assignment was an associate pastor and I was serving under a godly senior pastor and I'd been on, on, on the job, you might say, about two days and I inherited a student conference. And so we were going to take a group of students. We didn't plan the event. We just showed up at the right time and the volunteers got to skip out of it and here Ange and I entered the scene. And so we're going to the student conference and so we drive in the church van to the student conference with a group of students and we're in the conference. We didn't have cell phones. I couldn't call anybody. And so we're in the student conference and the leader of the conference stands up and he says to a group of students, youth, he said to them, if you don't go out to the merchandise area and buy some of my products, and he went through a list of those, you don't know Christ and you're not going to heaven. I was two days on the job. And I thought, well, I don't, I didn't even think about a cell phone in those days because I didn't have them. So I thought, well, what in the world am I going to do? And I said to Angie and then I said to some others, I said, here's what we're going to do. We made a decision. Uh, we're going to walk out of this conference and we're going to go do our own conference. I'm not going to let them listen to this stuff over the next couple of days. Now, I may not make it a week in this position, but I'm going to do the right thing. And we walked out of that conference, and we went to the Dairy Queen and had to get some ice cream first. And then we, uh, because, Lord, I, I don't know what this is going to look like. And then from there, we had our own conference, and the Spirit of God moved in that place. And he said, well, what did your senior pastor? Here's what happened. The senior pastor said, 
Brother, you made the right decision. Parents came around us and said, you made the right decision. Thank you for protecting our students. James, who is wise and understanding among you, as he's talking about you're wise beyond your years, he is protecting the people of God. Now, as you think about this again, he's not saying you lived a good life to be right. No, you're living right because you know Christ. And so here's what he's saying. I want to give you these three words. I want you to write down, when you live a good life, and who is wise and understanding among you. And then he says this, by his good conduct, let him show his works. Listen, wisdom is different than SAT scores. Wisdom is your life. Wisdom is your conduct. Wisdom is how you make decisions, your insight, how you follow Christ in life. So he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Please understand, if you're following Christ in the wisdom of God, there is no arrogance or boasting in him. He says, what, in the meekness, that, that's just humility in life. I love to be around a humble brother or sister in Christ. But when you apply the wisdom of God in your life, living the good life, here's what happens. Number one is the word prevents. It prevents you from going down paths that we don't need to go and that you don't need to go. When you apply the wisdom of God to your life, let me just give you some real practical points. One is the internet. When you apply the wisdom of God to your life as a believer in Christ, there are some internet sites you have no business visiting. You have no business clicking on those sites when you apply the wisdom of God to your life. It prevents you from going to places you don't need to go. When you're dating... If you apply the wisdom of God to your dating relationship, there are certain places and times that you have no business being alone with each other in a dating relationship. You apply the wisdom of God to that. In your marriage, when you apply the wisdom of God to your marriage relationship, you're going to realize there are ledges out there and there are places that you need not to see how close to the ledge you can get. You need to stay away from the ledge. Why? Because the wisdom of God is giving you insights about the union he's brought together. And you think about ministry, you realize when you apply the wisdom of God to your ministry, you understand the value, the priceless value of character and integrity. And you know this, if David could sin and fall, you can sin and fall as well. And that's why you apply the wisdom of God to your life and say, God, I want to stay away from the ledge, even in marriage, but also in ministry. I understand the value of character and integrity, and God help me to stay away from awkward, compromising situations in ministry. The wisdom of God prevents. Number two, the wisdom of God protects. It protects you as you walk through life. Folks, you, you realize the world's coming against you. We've got an enemy who's like a roaring lion seeking someone he can devour. You need protection in your life. And as you think about the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God protects you. It keeps you. There are guardrails in your life. And you need to make sure you stay within those guardrails because there are deep bluffs on each side. And you want to stay in the guardrails. One of the most intense times I ever had driving, and I were in Costa Rica. We rented a car in Costa Rica. We were driving from this city. We were going to somewhere we didn't know where we were going. And they said, you'll be able to find it pretty easy. We didn't speak Spanish, nor did we read Spanish. And so we're relying on God. And we finally go over this mountain, this, this significant mountain in Costa Rica. And it, huge drop-offs. We're meeting dump trucks and 18-wheelers going over this mountain. There are no guardrails at all. Thank God that we got over there and got safe. I tried to do everything I could to turn that car in at the place we were at and said, we'll catch a bus to get back. 
Could not do it. We had to take that car back. Our prayer lives reached another level when we were in Costa Rica. Another level. But you've got to find protection. The other night, March 11th, Friday night, we've been out with the chambers having dinner with them at their house. Snowstorm comes in. And we're driving in the country. We couldn't even see the road. We didn't know where it was at. And so I'm driving up the road, trying to, I turn the lights on, on high. It's like a blizzard was coming through on that Friday night. And I said to Angie, I said, Angie, you need to start praying that we're going to get home. She said, what do you think I've been doing? And I said, well, I have a request. Will you start praying out loud? I need to hear you pray. Here's what's going to happen. When you apply the wisdom of God in your life, it prevents you from going to certain places, but it protects you as you go along in life. Anybody here today need the protection of God in your life? Absolutely we do. Number three, promises. When you apply the wisdom of God to your life, promises you, again, that you're not going to come to a bad place in life. All's going to work out well. When you think about the promises of God, thousands of promises in God's Word. And here's what happens. When you apply the wisdom of God to your life, He promises you what? You're going to have peace and wisdom and insight. You're going to have direction in life. You're going to be able to live in the center of His will. That's going to be great. Why? Many people live their lives with guilt, being ashamed. They feel dirty. Listen, when you apply the promises of God to your life and the wisdom of God, He sets you free from all that. Can't we just speak and sing the name of Jesus and he changes us so when you think about life and you think about the wisdom of God he says one live the good life look at number two learn the great lesson what are you learning in the Christian life James says who is wise and understanding among you rhetorical question not really looking for an answer he says by your good conduct let him show his works and meekness of wisdom and then he goes into this but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth I mean James is writing to a church has some issues he's writing to a church that's got some serious issues about the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God and James is putting it out there and he says but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, make sure that's not a part of you. Listen, bitter jealousy. How many people in life, how many people in ministry walk around with bitter jealousy because of someone else? We play this comparison game. If I could just be like him or be like her, and we're jealous of one another. How many people walk around with selfish ambition? Nothing wrong with ambition. What's wrong is selfish ambition. And so James is going to put it out there and to say, you need to learn the great truth. I hope you have a teachable spirit in your life. I hope you're learning great lessons in life as well. Uh, live a good life, but also learn the great lesson. Here's what I want you to know. And James is getting to that. We're reaping what we're sowing. Uh, do you realize in life, and I'm sure that you do, folks, we got more food than we know what to do with. Even though there's supply shortages, you could go to your, your cabinets. You've got a lot of food probably in your house. Uh, we, we've got better housing than we ever had in our lives. We're some of the most blessed people around the world the way we live. Uh, we've got higher wages than we ever dreamt that we would have. You probably make more money than you ever dreamt that you would in your life. We've got better technology. We can take a little phone in our hand. We can figure anything out almost in life with just a piece of technology. Transportation, we've got the best cars of anybody you're going to see around the world. And you look at all this stuff that we've got from the world. And then you look and you say, well, God, what are we reaping because we've got all this stuff? Do you realize cohabitation is on the rise? 
doing marriage outside of God's way? Do you realize that suicides are on the rise? People are taking their lives. Do you realize mental issues are higher than ever before in life? Do you realize prisons are more occupied now than ever before? We're reaping what we're sowing. You can't deny the wisdom of God and expect the blessings of God in life. When you follow the wisdom of man, you reap that in life. And James is saying, make sure bitter jealousy and selfish ambition aren't a part of your life. And so let me give you these words. Number one is a passionate challenge. He's going to challenge them about following the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God. And he's very clear about that, about bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Do not boast and be false to the truth. So he's given them a great challenge. Church, I just want to challenge you. Make sure in your life you don't follow the wisdom of man. Follow the wisdom of God. Number two, personal confession. He comes along and he says this. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. And then he gives these qualifiers for it. Very clear about what he's saying here. It's a confession. If we're going to see God move in our day, you need to write this down. We need to be willing to confess sin. When you look at our history, even history of the world, the great moves of God started what? When the people of God started confessing sin. 1857, Jeremiah Lanfear in New York City. God moved in that day. Why? Because people confessed their sins. 1904 in Wales, Evan Roberts, a young guy seeking the very face and heart of God. God moved in that day. Why? Because people started confessing sin. 1970, Wilmore, Kentucky. God moved on that Tuesday morning. Why? Because individuals started up and confessed their sin before God and one another. God moved when people confessed sin. And I just encourage us, if we've got bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, if we've denied the truth, then we need to confess that and acknowledge that to God and agree with him and find his forgiveness in life. And he's just saying to them. Then he goes into this. He says, one, it's earthly. What does that mean? It just means that, that you're doing what is right in your own eyes. You're doing what you want to do in life. Then he says it's unspiritual, has nothing to do with God whatsoever. So you're living your life doing what you want to do, has nothing to do with God. You're not seeking his direction. And then he says it's demonic. Imagine that, that Satan wants to destroy your life. And that's what James, he's protecting the people of God. That's what he's saying to the people. You need to know this morning in the room and those who are watching, you need to know this. Satan does not want you living intimate with Jesus. He does not want you involved in the life of the Lord's church. That's why one day is so critical. Why we're acknowledging Jesus that he's the head of this church, but we also acknowledge that we need brothers and sisters in Christ together. Satan does not want that. So the wisdom of man is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, but the wisdom of God is totally different than that. And so number three is public confusion because he says in his passage, he says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. God is not the God of disorder. He's not the God of confusion. He's the God of peace. And so when you see disorder and you see every vile practice, God is not calling us to live like the world. He's calling us to live different from the world. And we don't have to apologize for that. We can be faithful to him. Number three, love the gracious Lord. Church, you know this. Education is not going to save us in this nation. 
you know this, politics are not going to save us in this nation. You know this, the economy is not going to save us in this nation. You know what's going to save us is God's people sharing the gospel and lifting up Jesus. Speak and sing the name of Jesus. He's the one who saves. He's the one who transforms. He's the one who gives us life. It's Jesus. He's the one who does that. And so what James is going to do, he's going to give a few insights. Let me give these to you. Number one is the word purity. What is what, what does the wisdom of God look like? And he says the wisdom from above is first, and he says pure, it's purity. The word that you might write up beside is holy. You live a holy life. It doesn't mean you're weird. It doesn't mean uh, you like, try to look strange. It just means you're living. God said be holy because I'm holy. You're living a holy life. You want the ways of God to be lived out in your life. As a child, as a student, as an adult, you want the ways of God to be lived out in your life. So God, I want my life to be pure. I want my heart to be pure. I want my relationship with you to be pure. I want my relationships with other people to be pure. Purity really does matter. Look at the next one we see here in this context. He says not only purity, but peaceful. When you look at this, you think about peace. He's saying here about peaceable. You live at peace with God, but you also live at peace with one another. Let me ask you, is your relationship with God one of peace? Let me ask you, when you think about your relationships with other people, is there peace in those relationships? Anywhere there's strife, anywhere there's brokenness, anywhere where there's dissension, and you need to seek the peace of God in your life for those relationships. So purity is one, peaceful. Next one, look at number three, is, is considerate. You need to live considerate lives. That's why he says in this passage, he says, peaceful and then gentle. It's gentle. You're gentle with people. You're considerate of the needs of other people in life. Are you considerate to other people around you? How many people live life and it's all about him or her? No. When do you live life and say, God's about you, worship's about you, life is about you, and God, I want to think about the needs of other people. Dr. Daniel McNeely was a prominent pediatric neurosurgeon in Halifax, Canada. One morning he was going to do surgery on this eight-year-old boy who had a brain situation. Uh, they called it uh, hydrocephalus was, the, was the, what he was facing. And so this, this renowned surgeon was going to do brain surgery on this eight-year-old boy. And they were going to drain some fluids from his brain and relieve the pressure on his brain. And so as they're getting ready to take this little eight-year-old boy into surgery, he sees the surgeon. He's carrying his teddy bear with him. And so as he's going in, he says to this great neurosurgeon, he says to him, can you uh, repair my best friend, my teddy bear? He's got a rip and he needs to be, he needs surgery too. And so the surgeon says, well, let me see what I can do. And so this great renowned neurosurgeon does surgery on this eight-year-old boy and takes care of his brain issues, relieves the fluid and relieves the pressure, and hopefully he's on the road to recovery. So they finish the surgery, get everything cleaned up, and finally this renowned surgeon said to his surgical staff, if you'll gather around the table, give me the teddy bear, and I'm going to put him on the operating table next. And he takes his little eight-year-old boy's best friend, his teddy bear, and he says, give me some blue gloves. And he puts them on and says, give me some of the stitches that were left over from the previous surgery. And he raised that teddy bear's arm. And that renowned doctor stitched up that teddy bear and repaired that rip in that bear. 
Who would do that? Well, it's someone who's not impressed with himself. And it's someone who cares and is considerate about the needs of others, even an eight-year-old boy. He said, would you take care of my best friend? And he did. Who are you showing compassion to in your life? It's a wise thing to show compassion. Look at the next one. As you think about being considerate, also as you think about you're merciful or submissive. He says in this passage, he says, when you think about the wisdom of man, pure, or God, pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, you're submissive. When you say about submissive, what that means is you're open to the counsel of other people. God, what do you want? And But also not only what God wants, but what are other people saying? Oh, you've got some people around you who can speak the truth of God into your life. Hope you're open to reason. I hope it's not just your way or no way. Hope you're willing to listen to the counsel of others. That's the wisdom of God. Number five is the word merciful. If you're going to understand full of mercy, isn't God merciful to you and me? And as you think about ministry, ministry is not just for one or two people. If you know Christ, he wants you to be involved in ministry because we need to show mercy to other people. Number six is the word fruitful. He said, uh, full of mercy, good fruits. We need to produce fruit. If you're growing in Christ, you're going to be fruitful in the Christian life. Fruit that glorifies God in life. And then he says, next is impartial. Uh, You're not showing favoritism. It's God, what do you want out of my life? And I'm going to be faithful to do that. So you're going to be impartial. And then the last word there is the word sincere. He said, if you're going to be uh, the, the wisdom of God, you're going to be sincere in your life. Uh, you, you don't look and say, well, God loves all people and God's unconditional grace is amazing. God's mercy is incredible and only to treat people like dirt. You're sincere. God, you've loved me. Your grace has changed me. Your mercy is new every morning. And God, I want to give that to other people. That is sincerity. That's the wisdom of God. And so let me ask you again today as dads, fathers, dads, what are you teaching your kids? The wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God? And let me ask you today, are you living by the wisdom of this world or are you living by the wisdom of God in life? And James is saying to us, you're wise beyond your years. Why? Because you're applying the wisdom of God to your life and you're living by his ways, not the world's ways. That's a great way to live. That's a great way to serve. That's a great way to speak the name of Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Heads bowed in this room and those who are watching. I just want to encourage you, the wise thing to do today, following the wisdom of God. If you don't know Jesus in your life, the wise thing to do is surrender your life to him. Don't delay the next week. Don't wait to Easter today. Today's the day of salvation. Now's the time of God's favor. Today, just say, Lord Jesus, I I don't know you. I've never turned from my sin and put my trust in you. And Lord Jesus, today, I confess my sin and I surrender my heart and life to you. And Jesus, I call on your name to forgive me and save me and change me. He'll do that. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord to be saved, he'll do that.
How many in this room are watching need to be obedient to Christ and baptism? Identifying as a believer. Saying to others, I know Jesus, he's changed my life, and I want to be obedient in baptism. What a wonderful step of obedience today. Not, not do it today, but just say somewhere in the next number of Sundays. I need to stand in the baptismal waters and say, I love Jesus. I'm not ashamed of him, and I want to obey him. You can come forward this morning as well. What about church affiliation on this one day? Maybe you've been coming to First Baptist for a long time. And on this significant day for us, the church, you say, you know, today, I just don't want to just keep coming. I want to affiliate with this church because this church is serious about teaching and preaching God's word. This church has a mission to the world. This church loves one another. This church is serious about doing great commission ministries. And I want to join the fellowship of this church today. Today. Call to Christian ministry. God's calling you. And he wants you to be obedient. That's the wisdom of God in your life. I encourage you to obey. Or just another Christian decision. Maybe you just need to confess today. Life's got a little sideways for you because you've been relying on the wisdom of man, not the wisdom of God. And you need to say today, Lord, I, I appreciate other people, but God, I need your wisdom. I need to be open to reason. I need your wisdom. Our pastoral team is going to be here in front. Our prayer partners are going to be on each side to pray with you as well. Folks, one day we're going to be able to say when we all get to heaven, this is what it's going to be like. Well, let's take some of those steps of obedience today and to say, Lord, we want to see heaven move in our midst right now and let him change your life. Let you be obedient to him and say, it's the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. Wisdom of man will tell you, don't walk down an aisle. Don't make a decision today. The wisdom of God says, you obey me immediately while you have time. Obey me now. So, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask for you to move in this invitation and that we will apply the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man. And we will obey you. And then, Lord, we'll rejoice now, but then one day when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So in the room and those who watch, you can make a decision right now as we stand together. Let's sing, You Obey the Leadership of Jesus.